being a solopreneur, it's a lonely business and you end up second guessing yourself a lot. So being in an online community, especially, it's kind of like having a board of directors that you can bounce ideas off. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with Robin Witcherly, CEO of Optimize Your Design Business. In today's episode, you will learn how to avoid the loneliness of going solo. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Robin Witcherly. Robin is an interior architect and founder of Itu Design, a commercial interior design company in Helsinki, Finland. Originally from the UK, Robin qualified as an architect and worked for four years before moving to Helsinki. There he established his own design company, where he has fun designing workplaces for leading global corporations. Robin attracts amazing clients to his boutique agency despite its tiny size. Robin describes his company as a lifestyle business, one that has grown to be the right size and shape to suit his personal goals. And now Robin offers coaching to other designers looking to follow his path through his Optimize Your Design business program. Robin, welcome to the show. Hi, David. How are you doing? It's great to have you on. Um, So you started your career working for others. What made you decide to start your own firm? So uh, thank you very much for inviting me on the show, first of all, David. Yes, so this has been uh, a long journey to get where I am today. And I suppose my move to Finland, which was now 20 years ago, was probably the most impactful moment uh, when it comes to the, the direction that my career has taken. Starting off my career in, uh, in the UK, I was working for established architectural firms and moving to Finland, of course, this, uh, this kind of had uh, huge implications on, on my setup. And after trying to find work in local offices, I realized that actually I could, uh, could uh, make my own path here. So uh, my, my journey into entrepreneurship began. Did you know anybody who was an entrepreneur? Very few people. I suppose the architectural offices that I'd worked in were naturally a little bit entrepreneurial because they're normally quite small setups with, uh, with a leader and a handful of, uh, of workers in each case. So the idea of being an entrepreneur is probably quite close to every, uh, every young architect as they start out in their career. But I didn't know many people who ran their own companies at that stage. When you were in school studying to be an architect, were there any classes about entrepreneurship or about running your own firm? Absolutely none. I have no idea what it's like today, but uh, all the other designers that I speak to, they're in exactly the same same situation that we're taught how to, to do one job, which is work as designers, and soon find ourselves with an entirely different hat on. And I'm sure this is uh, very common in many 
consulting companies as well. It is very common. And um, in many fields, um, particularly for folks that have been trained to solve a particular kind of problem, and they work as professionals in an organizational setting, whether it's small firms like some of the ones you've described or you know huge conglomerates, they're still faced with the same dilemma if they try to start their own business, which is they're really good at the kind of problems they solve and the kind of work that they do. So they're good technically, but they've never run a business before. And as, a, as you're, you're right, it's a very different skill set. It's a very different skill set, yes. And it's quite uh, ironic that as you become better as a designer and your reputation grows, then you're more likely to kind of remove yourself from that design process if you're not careful. So it can quite often be that people who are the most successful suddenly become managers of teams rather than actually doing creative work, which is what they set out to do in the first place. Yeah. So how did it go for you at first? Yeah. So at first, I began, as many people do, by being a subcontractor to larger firms. And that was a good way to find my feet and uh, understand the lay of the land. And quite soon, I realized that I wanted to make a shift in the kind of work that I was doing. And I moved from designing buildings to designing the interiors of buildings and became an interior architect and started to focus on designing offices. And it became quite clear to me early on that I needed to learn a lot about running a business. And this soon became um, a passion in itself alongside design. So studying business and entrepreneurship became uh, a big uh, a big hobby of mine during my early years and, uh, and reading a lot in the early stages. And of course, these days we have access to huge amounts of information through YouTube videos and podcasts and what have you. But in the early days, it was about ordering books on Amazon and uh, studying them cover to cover multiple times. Were there any moments of panic? I think there have been quite a few moments of panic <laughs> along the way. Um, I think that's probably true for most entrepreneurs, it's never smooth sailing, despite the uh, impression that we might try to give in our marketing material. Uh, I think for me, the one of the key moments was when I suddenly realized that a lot of the theory that I have been studying could actually be applied to my business. And I think this is quite typical for designers, that we start out with this idea that we want to be known for our skill and our creativity. And we want to be chosen based on, on the merit of our design work. And because of that, we become really very much integrated into the, the product that we're trying to sell, the solutions that we're trying to sell. And so we think that the creative industry isn't necessarily one where we can apply recognized business theory to. And for a long time, I made the same, that same mistake that I studied business and I learned a lot, but at the same time, I really couldn't understand how it could be applied to my world. And I saw myself as being different that, you know, as a designer, business theory, it doesn't really apply in the same way that we have to be involved in every step of the process because we're creative people and the actual process itself needs to be creative every time. And the idea of creating a business, which is a set of processes which can be repeated, uh, didn't really occur to me for a long time, despite what I was uh, reading. So I think that hopefully answers the question. 
Yeah. What's an example of uh, something that you didn't realize could actually be a, a business process? Almost everything involved in running a business, I think, David, to be honest. So in the early days when I was making offers to my clients, I was really focusing on the work that I'd done before of using my portfolio to try to sell my skills. And whilst the quality of design you know, is, of course, very important when offering design services, corporate clients are perhaps not so focused on the design results itself. It's more about the process for them. So understanding or having a service provider that kind of gives them security and gives them peace of mind in the process that they realize that their time schedule and their budget is going to be properly managed through the process and that they have systems in place to control these things so that it's not an ad hoc solution over time. So I think by trying to break down the service I was selling into standard repeatable systems, that gave me something to present to my clients so I could present my business in an entirely different way. So rather than relying on previous projects and nice images of my completed work, I was able to show, to open up my processes to potential clients so that they would see the way in which I worked. And that has been overnight that has kind of changed the way that I have presented myself and the way that I have been received by potential corporate clients as well. So Robin, when you get a lead now, how do you respond? Like, What do you offer to sell them? So I, I offered to sell them what I would call a productized service where we have uh, four clear steps in the design process, which are the same in every project, regardless of the scale of the project. And each one of those steps takes us into a more detailed level of design within the project. And at, each, at the end of each step, part is signed off and completed so that we, uh, we're always moving towards the target and we can really keep track of our resources and our customer's budget, for example. So it's a, a package of services, I think, that they are, they are buying. Is it always the same price or does the price depend on the scope of the project? So the price depends on the scope. So we have five different sizes of project, basically. And so for our design services, you can basically choose from extra small to extra large. And the size of the premise affects that, but then also the level of detail in design that the customer is hoping for affects that. Because in some cases, we could be working in a large office, but maybe the requirements are actually quite easy to achieve and vice versa. It might be that somebody has a very small office with just uh, a few people working there but they want it to have you know, a, a huge wow effect and really inspire their guests and their employees and really uh, really needs a lot of design work. Uh, but the, the actual size of the premise can affect the, the amount of time we put in quite a lot. But regardless of the size and scale, though, the process is always the same. So, Robin, what have you learned that you think might apply to any kind of solo professional service business about offering a small number of very standard kinds of productized services. I think what I've learned is to really try to try to see the process and what you offer from the perspective of your client. And by doing that, you soon realize that the amount 
of time and effort something takes you and measuring your actions is of no real value. That for the client, the actual outcome and the experience they receive and the assurances they receive, those are all that matter in the process. And so many designers that I meet, they're really focused on what they do and how they do it rather than what they're delivering. And so they become lost in trying to calculate very detailed hourly rates and break down projects into minute pieces, sometimes even 15 minutes at a time uh, and what have you. And of course, these details, they don't have any any impact on the value that your customer is actually getting. Yeah. So if you were to roll back the clock and- I wish I could. <laughs> right. Start your business all over again. Um, what yeah. would you do differently at the beginning to come up with these standard packages? Yeah, so I think there'd be three clear steps in that process. And I think first one would be to really develop a clear vision for what I'm trying to achieve. Because when I started this, I didn't really have a clear vision. I knew that I knew what I didn't want. I didn't want to build a big company with lots of workers and responsibility of being present on site in a a workplace every day. I wanted to have freedom and be with my very young family, now not so young. So I knew what I didn't want, but I didn't really have a clear vision of what I wanted and why. And now I do have, and it's very clear that I want to work with corporate clients and high-level customers who are a real pleasure to, to be around. So that would be the first step to create a vision where I really knew what I was aiming at, because without having some sort of uh, North Star. We have no idea about any of the decisions we make on the way, right? So I think that solves so much of our, our challenges in one hit. Then the next thing I'd do would be to really try and figure out on the niche that I was focused on, because then it's quite easy to put ourselves in the minds of our potential clients and see the process from their point of view and build everything out from, from there. And then setting up processes from day one, really uh, cataloging everything we do so that we have one, two, three step processes for every detail we design, every item we specify, every drawing we produce and having checklists for those. So that every time we work on a project, of course, the results are totally different and the creativity is in the, in the actual design and the flair for the interior itself. But the actual process isn't creative at all. We're using the same process every single time. And of course, once you are able to create those kind of standard operating processes, it's then possible to start to extract yourself from some of the things that you would rather not be spending your time doing and bringing other people in to help deliver those. And I think that's something that designers really struggle with as well. They really hold on to this idea that they have to do everything themselves because they are the creative person and their expectations are that it's important for their client that they do everything. But of course, it's much better for our clients if we are focused on the high level stuff and we have a small team around us to uh, deliver those less critical items. So for me, I've been quite focused on keeping hold of the, the elements in the process that are most important and closest to me. And of course, as a designer, that's the, uh, the sort of conceptual design. So having a, a hand in from day one with our designs is very important and following that through to completion. 
And then the other one is contact with our clients. So client liaison is something which is super important to me. And it's one of our selling points. If I pitch to a new customer that I'm able to say that if you work with me, you get me from day one to uh, to the end result. And I follow, the, follow through the whole thing. And that's something that I really enjoy. So breaking everything down into systems and systematized process means that it's so much easier than to start delegating those tasks and also being able to eliminate some of them totally, of course, when we can see the whole whole uh, design process as, uh, as a kind of machine, which we can then tinker with. Uh, I think it was probably Tim Ferriss who, comes, who came up with the uh, concept of, of uh, eliminating, automating, and then delegating in that in that uh, order, and that's something which has been my mantra from day one. So, really trying to identify stuff that doesn't need doing at all, and there's a huge amount of that. Uh, then trying to automate things that can be automated but are still necessary, and then for the things which are still necessary and which I don't want to do myself, then delegating those through carefully prepared SOPs. So that's been my my kind of process. And of course, it's not ready yet. There's always work still to be done. And it's not as if I've, uh, I've mastered this, but I think generally trying to extract myself from the, the tasks that I don't want to be involved in is, takes up a lot of my focus. Brilliant. Robin, what made you decide to coach other designers? I think it's kind of a natural evolution when I have been doing the kind of design work and building the kind of small but um, effective company that I have been building and have this interest in people and in business theory. I think it's a natural, natural progression. And I've also had a business coach myself. I've employed a business coach. And that process itself was brilliant. And that opened my eyes to the idea that actually, maybe this is something that I could do. Maybe I could help some other people and accelerate their journey through these painful stages that it's taken me the best part of 15 years to go through. I love that. Robin, what's been your experience as a community member or a community leader? Nice to get that question, David. And I've been enjoying a lot of the back catalogue of your episodes recently. So I would have been disappointed had you not asked. So I have three benefits of online communities uh, lined up ready for you. So I think the the first one, it's kind of a no-brainer that being a solopreneur, it's a lonely business and you end up second-guessing yourself a lot. So being in an online community especially, it's kind of like having a board of directors that you can bounce ideas off. So, And that alone, of course, is is fantastic. And I should point out, I'm talking about online communities here. Of course, we have all kind of physical communities that I'm part of as well, including a peer group of other designers. And that's uh, wonderful to have, especially for social reasons. But it's also, you know, there's a fine line between peers and competitors. So it's really hard to be open and vulnerable with that group. So the online communities that I've been part of have been absolutely brilliant because you don't have those kind of inhibitions that you would have around people that you already know and people who are already part of your business community. So I wholeheartedly recommend being involved in online communities. Then I mentioned I've got three then. So the first one is having the board of directors. 
Second one, just explaining your thought process to other people, just putting it in words on camera, telling people what you're thinking and what you're planning to do and why. Quite often, I end up answering my own questions myself. So just the process of verbalizing your thoughts is it's absolutely invaluable. Then number three is being held accountable. It's so easy to be distracted. As a solopreneur, we have so much information out there. We get so many new ideas all the time. And of course, we've got this amazing freedom that we can just try and test anything we feel like any, at any time we wish, which is uh, great fun. And of course, we have to keep experimenting, but it's really risky. It can mean that we jump about all over the place, trying different things and not following things through to completion. So for me, having an online community means that I'm held accountable. In some of the groups I'm in, each week we make a commitment for what we're going to be working on during the coming week. And then we have to check in the week later and, and explain whether or not we've achieved what we promised we would. So what better way to be reminded week in, week out of what we're trying to achieve and why? I love that. Robin, we've covered a lot of territory in a short amount of time. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything that we've discussed or access any resources you may have or get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go? Right. So I have, as well as my company website, I also have a website that I use for sharing information regarding business and coaching, and that's optimizeyourdesignbusiness.com, optimize with a Z. And actually there, I also have something which your listeners can download if they wish. One challenge I've always had is keeping tabs on where I am in my business. It's really easy to be kind of lost and not know exactly what's happening. Sometimes we have a great month because we see a lot of invoices going out or a lot of payments coming in, but still it's quite hard to know in the big picture what it means for the coming months. And I've tried all kinds of bits of software to keep track of, of prospects and leads and offers and sales. But in the end, I've found them so fiddly and there's just too much information there. So these days, I just use a basic spreadsheet and that has three sections in it, a section for all the new leads for that month, all the offers that I'm making and all the sales that I've achieved during that month. And I find by just keeping track of those three metrics religiously, just 10 minutes a week or something like that. It really gives me a huge amount of insight into where I am in the business instantly. And from that, obviously, you can see straight away that does it look like your leads are down for a month? What is it that you've done during those months when you've generated a lot of new leads? And how can you replicate that again to, to boost those for the following months? Or perhaps your sales are down, so you can really see that you need to focus on that process. So as a kind of quick visual into your business, this uh, spreadsheet dashboard, for me, it's fantastic. And for a few designers I've shared with it, they've loved it as well. So this is what I have to uh, as a free download for the listeners. And you can find that at optimizeyourdesignbusiness.com slash free, F-R-E-E. And uh, that's, as I say, just a, a spreadsheet which works for me. Keep it simple. Yeah, I love keeping things simple. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share your insights. My guest has been Robin Witcherly, the CEO of Optimize Your Design Business. Thank you, Robin, for joining us. Thank you so much. 
When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. On today's episode with Robin Witcherly, we learned how to avoid the loneliness of going solo. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.